Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my chickens. So things are going to be a little different on the podcast this week. <laughs> As you all know, most of the time when I interview people or talk to people on a podcast, they are other coaches, usually trained in the same methodology I am, or just sometimes kind of with some overlap or sort of sympathetic to our coaching method, or they are, you know, people working in other, had a couple of friends in other disciplines, like my friend Jessica Dore, the tarot reader, who also has a background in therapy. And so sort of just people who are in this kind of coaching, self-help, therapy, philosophy world. But once in a while, we just like to really shake it up. (laughs) And as this podcast gets more and more grown up as it goes into its fifth year, I think now, I'm really looking forward to having interesting conversations around coaching topics and all the things that we talk about here with a really kind of fascinating variety of women and talking about how thought work plays into their lives and their different kind of sets of circumstances and their life experiences. So in this special episode, I am talking to Hannah Berner, who actually grew up as a competitive tennis player, which I didn't know originally, and who is now a comedian. She's a podcast host. She does stand up. She's also a member of Bravo's Summer House for three seasons. And so really coming from a very different world and lifestyle and perspective than I am. But we had what I think is a really great conversation, and I'm really excited for you all to listen to it. And remember, you got to go sign up for the deprogramming, the patriarchy from your brain boot camp. If you haven't already, go do it right now. You are going to be so bummed out if you miss this. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to be bummed out, and I don't want you to not learn these tools and skills that are going to change your life. So, Text your email to plus one three four seven nine nine seven one seven eight four. And when you get prompted for the code word, it's five day challenge. It's the letter five, the word day, the word challenge. Written out normally, spaces in between them. Five day challenge. Or visit unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash five day challenge, the number five, and then the words day challenge, five day challenge, all one word, no spaces. And I will see you all there. We have a very special episode of Burning in Hell. She may be the smartest person to ever grace hell. And I think I actually might learn some shit today. I'm very excited. Um, Cara Lowenthal is here to party with the devil. Cara, welcome to hell. How are you? I'm fine. I really like the idea that generally you don't learn anything when you interview people on your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, well, usually this is a a waste of time. But I think today I might learn something. Normally we hear some traumatic bullshit. No, (laughs) we learn from experiences on this podcast, but we've never had someone who has like, actually, I think there was one guy who maybe had Harvard in somewhere on his resume, but you're Harvard JD, Yale BA master coach, host of Unfuck Your Brain podcast. We love a bitch with a curse in her podcast (laughs) name, creator of The Clutch, a feminist mindset revolution. I went to your website and like you really put it all out there, kind of what you stand for, what you educate women about and what you do. 
And I can't wait to dig deep into this. Let's do it. I'm ready. Deep's where I, I, I'm not that good at small talk. So let's just go all the way. <laughs> hell yeah, same. I'm like, let's go. What keeps you up at night? It makes you cry. But I do think that I go to comedians website who haven't updated their website in like six mm-hmm. years. But yours is updated and beautiful. It says, yes, I'm a life coach, a master certified one at that. And no, that doesn't mean I'm a woo-woo, divine feminine channeling goddess seer who spins law of attraction BS. I love that. <laughs> Because this industry is tough. There's a lot of woo-woo shit happening. There's a lot. There's a lot of talking about vibrations by people who have never taken a (laughs) physics class. (laughs) A lot. And I do think that when people are definitely in search of like change in their life, they are in a vulnerable place. So it is easy to like go on Instagram and see a beautiful grid aesthetic of someone with like perfect waves in their hair and be like, she can help my life and I'll give her a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, I think my goal, it's so funny. People think that when people think here, I'm a coach, like, oh, so you like give advice and you have good advice and you tell people what to do. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. it's exactly the opposite. I have no idea what you should do. I teach mm-hmm. people how to think more clearly. Like that is really my job. So because I think we do all know truly deep down, like what we want, what we need to do, what the next step is, whatever the question is, we have the answer, but there's just a lot of bullshit that gets in the way. Like, your brain has evolved to have a lot of bullshit. You've been socialized to think a lot of unhelpful ways. So Mm -hmm. my job is really just to teach people how to like clear out all the bullshit so that they can Mm -hmm. actually hear what they want and how to go after it, which for women in particular, can be such a challenge. Oh, I love that so much because it took me years to even understand that the voice in your head was just society or past bullying or any, it wasn't you. Mm -hmm. And once I discovered that things really changed, but You're interesting, too, because you basically use insights from feminist theory. What the hell is feminist theory? (laughs) I mean, that is a big question. What is feminist theory? But I think (laughs) so when I sort of started learning about coaching, it was like, okay, so I know, you know, traditional talk therapy. It's a lot about your childhood, your formative relationships. Like that's kind of what you go back to to understand yourself, right? And then there's Mm -hmm. sort of some more modern branches of psychology are kind of more behavioral focus. Like we have cognitive behavioral theory that's sort of about your brain, your cognition. And then when I sort of discovered coaching, it was like there was a lot of that kind of cognitive stuff. There was a lot of talk about how evolution had impacted our brains to be a certain way. So like evolutionary Mm -hmm. biology, And then you have that kind of – we all grow up immersed in a society where we are kind of in that therapy narrative of like our families cause everything. And then I I was sort of like, okay, but something's still missing here. Like this explains part of it Mm -hmm. of how my brain works and like why I think the way I do and why I have the insecurities I do and all of that. But like there's something missing. And what I saw was missing was we weren't taking into account how – being socialized in a certain way, being socialized as a woman or being socialized as a man, being socialized as a white person or a person of color, being socialized as a fat person or a thin person, like all these different kind of value hierarchies in society, being socialized as whatever identities you have impacts the way your brain thinks. So we were like trying Mm -hmm. to understand how women's brains work just based on like their childhood and evolutionary biology and not taking into account Okay, but you grow up in a society that's giving you messages about what it means to be a woman and what your value is and all of that your whole life. We're just like not going to talk about that part and how that might impact Mm -hmm. your brain. So that's Mm -hmm. really what I mean. It's not that like when you work with me, we're like doing a PhD program (laughs) in critical (laughs) theory, right? It just means that like I'm bringing a kind of feminist and intersectional and really social justice lens to this to teach people you know, if we want to work towards social liberation, how do we do that work on our brains first? It's like we've all yes. been impacted by society. 
And it's funny how the word like she's crazy is such a rampant thing. It's like an ex-boyfriend being like, my ex was crazy. And it's like, yeah, well, things happen to maybe get her to that point. And it's interesting for you to be like, there's a reason why sometimes you're sitting there so insecure about yourself for no reason, even though you have a great job or a great Mm -hmm. family. And it's like, there is a reason. And I love that you talk about social conditioning, yes, and self-critical talk. And I feel like, especially for successful women, this is a big issue. Yeah. I mean, everybody you meet has imposters. Like, when was the last time you met a woman who didn't have imposter syndrome? <laughs> right? Like, that whole – yeah, women are just always socialized to think that they are not doing enough, aren't smart enough, right? Somehow tricked everybody to get where they got, right? <laughs> We're always acting like – which is my favorite thing about imposter syndrome – is that this is what your brain is saying to you. Your brain is like, you're too stupid and bad to have this job on your own worth, but you're incredibly clever to be able to trick everybody the whole time. So funny. Well, Nikki Glaser is an incredible comedian, one of my good friends who talked about this because she suffered from it. And she said her therapist was like, so you think you're so slick that you were able to trick everyone right, to think right. you were like, funny when you're really not? <laughs> like, don't give yourself that much credit. And when she put it that way, I like immediately was like, this is some bullshit. But also as someone, I was a tennis player and then I was in stand-up, like they're in very male-dominated fields and it's Mm -hmm. so easy to succumb to like the pressure cooker of you're the girl on the show, Mm -hmm. everyone's watching you or everyone's not watching you because you're the girl (laughs) and no one cares. How has your own experiences affected your choice in getting into this line of work? Yeah, I had a real mix because I originally came up in the reproductive rights movement. And so I was doing reproductive rights and reproductive justice work, which is a heavily female field, as you can imagine. And then I became an academic and legal academia, especially I was working on a topic that basically had been like a kind of relevant big topic in the 60s and 70s. So a bunch of people had become specialists in it then. And then it had kind of not been a big deal for 30 years. I was working on kind of religious accommodations, like if somebody worked for an organization that doesn't want to provide insurance for birth control. So anyway, that part is not so relevant to your audience necessarily, but basically like the field was just starting to heat back up. So it was like me and a bunch of 70-year-old white dudes. It was like, that's who were the already the experts because nobody had really specialized in this for the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of other young women too. But so I had like this very different experience of going from this like very female dominated industry that was pretty much all women or, you know, some men, some gender nonconforming people or non-binary people, but like pretty much heavily cis women. And then academia where it was like, everybody was 30 years older than me and uh, like a straight white man. <laughs> I would say the attitudes were slightly different in those two industries, but mm-hmm. but actually for me, like what was so striking when I started thinking about it through this lens was I was, when I was working in reproductive rights organizations, I was working around, like we were the experts in the world, in this field. Nobody knew more than we did. And still you'd be sitting around in a meeting and people would be like apologizing for their ideas and saying like, doing that prefacing of like, well, maybe this is stupid. And, you know, so it was like such a good example to me of like, the calls coming from inside the house is what I always say, right? Like <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Like, but that it's inside. Like we're mm-hmm. sitting in this meeting. The president of the organization is a woman. The director of the departments are women. There's actually like one man in this meeting, and that's mm-hmm. the administrative assistant. Like, this mm-hmm. is not, 
any kind of disclaimers or whatever we're doing here is not because the men in the room are intimidating us, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like we made it all up. We were crazy, right? The point is just like we're socialized this way and then that's how your brain works. It really is like a cult because I feel like society tells you what to think and then other women to each other are like tricked to be like – enforcing societal standards right because we're all it's just how you learn to think and so Mm -hmm. we're all doing it right and Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter I mean this is what I always say like when people having come from spending 20 years working on more like policy solutions of like you know how do we change the structures how do we you know at this point understanding the brain I'm like okay we could pass a law tomorrow that 50 percent of every board seat and CEO suite has to be women or it has to be you know whoever and if we haven't changed the mental situation, yeah. right? If we haven't changed how we think, that's not really going to solve our problem. We're still going to have the 50% of women apologizing for their thoughts and thinking it's not good enough and taking on all the unpaid additional administrative labor and the 50% of the men still running things. So why are we you know. doing this to ourselves? <laughs> because we don't understand how the brain works. Like that thing you said in the beginning that you, you know, got to be wasn't for a long time that you were like, wait, what I'm thinking isn't necessarily true. Yes. Like I learned that when I was like 32 and I was like, Hold the phone. Mm-hmm. What? Like, because that's like the call is coming from inside the house, right? and the call is not you. <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. What are you saying? Like, why did no one? When I first learned this work, I was like, just why did no one tell me this before? What do you mean? Like, did everybody else know mm-hmm. that your thoughts are not necessarily true, mm-hmm. and that like you can change them? I, and that I was think it's important blog. as a feminist. I was reading on your website. Like, we know. I don't think I should have a boyfriend to accept myself. But then secretly, you're worried that you're unlovable without mm-hmm. one. You're like, I need to love my body. But then you're just criticizing it all the mm-hmm. time. And it's like, I guess women, we also, and men, you don't always realize how those little thoughts that no one can hear actually affects your reality because you're not saying it out loud. Yeah. Most people aren't aware of how like when you join the clutch, which is my feminist coaching community, one of the first things we teach you to do is how to like learn what you're actually thinking, right? How to start yeah. to pay attention to it. People are shocked. Like people come in being like, I think I, 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 you know, obviously they signed up. So they're like, yes, I'm anxious mm-hmm. about this thing. But they're like, I think I'm pretty nice to myself. And then when they write down all their thoughts, they're like, oh, my God. Like I had no idea that that was going on in there. But you are subconsciously like constantly criticizing and evaluating yourself. And because of the way we're socialized, like women will say things to me like, no, I'm not self-critical. I just know that I'm lazy and stupid. Oh, right. You're like, no, no, no. <laughs> You're like, okay, we need to unpack that yeah, even let's, further. Gotta, let's step back. This is not right. Like, Cause we're just like, that's just accurate. I'm just explaining it to you. Right. We like think that we're not being self-critical because we yeah. think that our self-critical thoughts are true. Yes. And so we're just explaining reality. We're just describing ourselves. Yeah. We're just, just like the fact. weather report. We're just like, no, I'm fat and disgusting. I mean, it's fine. I'm not being oh. mean to myself. It's just like, it's snowing outside. I mean, you like have actual PhDs or whatever. You have like real shit that you've done. I saw on Instagram, there was a test with like plants. Have you heard the plant thing where like two plants are growing and one plant you like yell at every day and the other plant you like give love. And it said like the energy of that one plant like didn't grow as well. Who knows? There could have been variables, but it's like, that's kind of how you talk to yourself. I'm so good at putting on a poker face and like being the class clown and being so funny. And I'm like, yeah, I'm great. But I was aware of everything I'd say to other people, but I literally didn't care what I said to myself. And the next thing you know, you're in spirals. Right. And that impacts how you feel. Next thing you know, you're speaking a language that's just not positive at all. So for girls out there who are like strong fucking feminists and they know what they want to be and they're like, 
I don't need a boyfriend, but like secretly they think they're unlovable. What kind of little piece of advice do you have for that kind of love situation? Yeah, I think the advice is actually the same for anything. Like so many women have the same gap that we're talking about right there, right? Which is like, mm. well, I want to believe this. Yes. Or I think I do believe this, but like somehow it doesn't apply to me. Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. Or like, yep. and so I think what's going or on like there. My like, situation's a little bit worse. <laughs> yeah. Or what people will often say is like, oh, I believe it intellectually, but I don't feel it emotionally. Mm. Like that's the way people talk about it a lot. I think that's a misunderstanding, which is totally normal of how the brain works. What's actually going on is you believe both things. You believe the thought that like a woman shouldn't need to be married to feel okay about herself. Mm -hmm. And you believe the thought, if I don't have a boyfriend, there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And so it's not an emotional intellect split. You believe two different thoughts, one of which is much older and more powerful because you've been learning that thought since you were six months old and people started saying like, oh, she's a heartbreaker. Like she's going to have to keep the boys away, right? Mm -hmm. That socialization starts so early. <sighs> so- what I always want to teach people is to like, first of all, just understand that's what's happening. When you tell yourself like, oh, I believe it, but I don't feel it. Yeah. You have no idea how to resolve that problem. Like that just seems mystifying and like there's nothing you can do. And so we want to understand really what the problem is. The problem is in the most basic terms, I have thought this one thought 6 million times and I've only thought this other thought like 2000 times. Mm -hmm. So it's just not as strong yet. And the good news is you don't have to get to 6 million with, I mean, I'm just making up these numbers, yeah. but right. It's like, we've thought one a lot and we've only started thinking the other one since we were like 23. It's much more recent. Mm -hmm. And most of us don't know that you actually can change what you think just by practicing thinking something new on purpose that you can believe. That's like the secret to the universe right there. Yeah. So it's not working the way people are trying to do it because they're trying to think the thought I don't need Without a man to feel okay about myself. It. Yeah, it's way too far, right? So if in this example, like if your thought is, you know, if I don't have a boyfriend, there's something wrong with me, mm -hmm. you don't yet believe truly the thought, there's nothing wrong with me no matter what, right? So trying to think that, which is like positive thinking or like affirmations, like a lot of people don't have success with those because it's too big of a gap. You and just it don't believe like it. becomes like performative. Yeah. Or then you just feel bad about yourself that that's not working. You're like, I can't even do positive thinking right. <laughs> Affirmations don't even love me. Yeah, exactly. Or like, I'm bad at this. Now I'm failing at loving my body in addition to, right? Mm -hmm. So what I really teach is to practice what I call like a ladder step thought, which is just mm -hmm. like a little bit of a better thought. So we're not, if we're talking about the dating example, we're not going to go from there's something wrong with me because I don't have a boyfriend to like... I love my single life and feel like an amazing goddess when you don't yet. But we can practice believing something like lots of people find a partner later in life mm -hmm. or yes. it's possible that my brain is not being accurate about this whatever, yes. right? Or what if I met that person tomorrow? Would that mean I was worthy tomorrow and not today, right? You can start to play yes. with like little steps you can believe. And this is a that. form of cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. And this is how you change your thoughts. This is why I think uh, anyone listening, it's super important to speak to someone, like whether it's a professional or even like I know I'll call my mom sometime and I'll be like, I'm having this crazy thought about myself and she will like see it in her perspective that will help me mm. change that thought. Because I know I will spiral deep, but sometimes mm. it just takes one other person being like, hey, okay, let's take a step <laughs> back. You don't right. mean that. <laughs> like for this thought, for example, I've definitely had this thought being single and then thinking like, 
no, I actually could get a boyfriend if I wanted, and I'm waiting to meet the right person. I'm not right. not lovable. There's plenty of people who love me, so that's like a great first step. Yeah. Oh, I love this so much. I always say to people, like, if you truly wanted to be married more than you cared who you were married to, <laughs> you could be married by now. <laughs> Right? You could like, be in an unhappy relationship at any time if that's going to make you feel better. 100%. Right. Like there's always – yeah. So exactly. And I think that like little bit of – you have to practice believing something where you get a physical change in your emotional state. Like you mm-hmm. feel a little bit different. And most people don't know that that's what they should be looking for and they expect it to be like magic. You know, it's like I always say like it's like going to the gym and being like, okay, well, I've decided I want to like deadlift 400 pounds, so I'm just going to do that. You're like, no, no, no. You're so right. Because the affirmations, they don't work unless you like really do believe it. I really think anyone's capable of anything. Like I wonder like, oh, how come Rihanna became such a, you know, famous singer? Like she really did want it and also believed she should. And who knows the steps it took her to get to that belief. Right, right. And you got to work your way up the belief. Like we think the nice thing, you can't pick up 400 pounds if you haven't trained. So you don't fool yourself into thinking you can. Mm -hmm. But with thinking, you can say a thought to yourself in your brain. And if you don't Mm -hmm. know to check and see, do I actually believe it? How does it feel in my body? It's like, we don't know. We just think we're doing it. We think we're deadlifting the 400 pounds. And then we're like, this isn't working. And the way you believe something is by, yes, starting out slow, like, okay, I might want to be a singer. And then like fighting societal norms, being like, you can't do it. You're not pretty enough. You're not talented enough. Mm -hmm. And do that first step of learning how to sing and like really taking the steps. Not to put you on the spot, but what kind of societal messages are we getting as women at a young age that is fighting against us in terms of like looks like like, every possible can you give us some examples (laughs) of everywhere yeah well I think like so for the dating one I think this is why this perspective is so important because women often end up also like beating themselves up for having these insecurities or having Mm -hmm. these anxieties yep you know one of the stereotypes about women in general is that they're like overly emotional or they're irrational or whatever And we've learned those too. So when we are feeling super anxious about some dude we met on Tinder two weeks ago, not texting us back, right? Like Mm -hmm. then we're telling ourselves that we're being unreasonable and we're being great. We're being irrational. And it gets us all like fired up to this fevered pitch, right? The truth is society has been telling you since you were born that the most important thing about a woman is romantic acceptance by a man. Like, that's it. It doesn't matter how evolved we think we are. Like, yes, things are better. We are now also told we can have jobs. <laughs> like, it's, you know, like, <laughs> Thank you. It's a little bit better than 100, 150 years ago. And mm-hmm. like, I say this as somebody who was raised in a family that was like very focused on my professional and academic success. I was mm-hmm. not being told at home, like, you need to get a husband. So I had like a pretty professional academics, you know, focused family. And still I absorb so much of it, right? Like it's just everywhere that the most important thing in a woman's life that determines her value and her worth is male sexual and romantic approval. So yeah, and of then course knowing gonna... that, then it's so easy for society to be like, want a man? These are these blowjob tips you have to conquer. Want right, a man? You have to lose your 100... waist has to right. be this small yeah, to your exactly. butt ratio. That's what want... all that advertising is. Want a right. man? You need this $400 serum. And the next right. thing you know, you're just like in this spell. That's why I think I started this tweet thing of like, do I actually like him or? Mm -hmm. And it's like a lot of the time with women, it's like, are you quick to just want to be in a situation with someone? Or do you actually like this person? Or do you find out seven months later after you've gotten what you wanted, you tricked him or whatever you had to do. And then you're (laughs) like, I don't even like the way this person forms a sentence. I'm going to punch myself in the face. Also, when girls are growing up, I think there's a lot about being pretty. 
Oh yeah, totally. This is, these things are both related, right? Women are socialized to think that their appearance is the thing that will get that male affection, that male yeah. sort of acceptance. That's supposed to be the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And women are socialized to think of their bodies as objects mm-hmm. that they're supposed to manipulate and mm-hmm. trade oh. to get that male approval, right? Oh. Whereas <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Whereas it men are not. Makes me nauseous. Yeah, but that's what it is, right? Women are so alienated from their bodies because we don't think of our bodies as being like the animal that we live in or the home yeah. that we live in, right? Yeah. And we don't think of our our bodies as being like men are socialized Vehicles. to think. Yeah. It's like this object that you're supposed to like sculpt and whittle and wax and dye and whatever so that you can trade <laughs> bedazzle. it. Bedazzle. Yeah, bedazzle. <laughs> so you can trade it for the currency of male sexual acceptance. And like, this sounds extreme, but this is actually what is underlying so much of the way that women are in relationships. And like, it's not a coincidence that a lot, I mean, when you look at women later in life who have gotten divorced or gone through menopause, obviously this is a generalization, mm-hmm. but like a lot of them are like, no, why the, why the hell would I want to get married again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's like, mm-hmm. I'm sort of like, I got that thing that was supposed to make me feel happy forever and accepted yeah. forever. And then I was like, wait, nope. Like so I'm- many women, I think literally get their checklist done and then they're like then how come I feel so lonely and empty inside right but I do know that when I was first dating in my 20s everyone heard about like girls are crazy and you know girlfriends could be so annoying and like I just wanted to be the least annoying cool girlfriend I'm just so cool Mm -hmm. and then like I'm like what am I doing I have to be myself at some point like I wasn't bothered by anything and the next thing you know you don't have boundaries and you're not respecting yourself and you can't even find the right person for you even though everyone's trained to be like, we want Prince Charming, when it's like, I'm sorry, Prince Charming is probably a narcissist, let's be honest. <laughs> well, and there's also your socialized, I mean, it's not all one way, right? Like, women are also socialized, because women are socialized to believe that their worth is dependent on their romantic status. Yes. That means then they want a certain kind of man yep. to, like, validate that they're good enough, right? So, like, at this point now, everybody's just being objectified. Nobody is right? like no, no one in that scenario is dating for the love of the other person. No. You're trying to trade like your looks and your agreeability and your whatever mm-hmm. for the status of a certain kind of job or a certain kind of money. That real happiness. Right, of course not. That's how you end <laughs> up like 3 years later, right? With post-wedding depression because now you're like, oh, now I'm just actually married to this person and 100%. it didn't magically change my life. And what I do love about what you do is you have a great humor to it. I mean, obviously you have curse words and you have the F-bomb in your title, so I knew I loved you, but you really have a good sense of humor about it. But I also think women having a sense of humor has been hard for society to really mm-hmm. accept. People say that it's a typical like masculine quality, which again is a social construct. It's hilarious. I only want to listen to it. I mean, if I'm like listening to stand-up, <laughs> I want to listen I would like a woman, a person of color, like anybody with an outsider perspective, that's what's funny. A hundred percent. I'm like not at all interested in what jokes like a straight cis white dude has to tell me of they're all like blowjob jokes. I just am like, I don't care. <laughs> For men, it's it's hard to. They're trying not to come, and girls are trying to. Oh come. my god, my mother. So my mother was a lawyer for many years, and then she took up doing stand up comedy as her like late in life hobby. Oh my god, I love that. She's hilarious and adorable. She's not like trying to you know go yeah. make a career out of it, obviously. But mm-hmm. I like go to so I go to all these showcases. <laughs> She's in, and it is always like there's like five or ten straight cis white dudes in their thirties living in Brooklyn whose jokes are all about like oral sex and what you know i just am like a fucking snooze fest 
And then all the people who are kind of weird, yeah. <laughs> right, are like they're humor. It's so much funnier because humor is an outside perspective. But if you look at stand up as a business and you wonder, like, why are there not more women or like different sexualities and diversity in stand up? It's because when it's run by like one kind of person, totally, you don't That's always what they feel- think is funny. Yeah, but you don't always feel comfortable like as a girl going into a bar at 11 p.m. because you got a spot in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and it's all just full of straight guys judging you. And you're kind of like, I don't want to do this. And there's so much talent that has quit because they don't feel comfortable in that cis white male world. But I think this is the core of like the work for me is that I totally believe we need to change society. But Right now, here's where we are, right? So for me, I'm like, okay, if you want to be a stand-up comic and mm-hmm. the thing keeping you from doing it is like those thoughts and feelings about going yep. into that bar, then we got to work on changing those. Yes. Because like we have to change. I don't know where people think the social change is going to come from mm-hmm. if we don't change people's minds first. Like we have to make the social change. So we yes. have to liberate ourselves from the inside first if we want to go be able to make that change. And I think because I grew up playing tennis which in a male-dominated field, like I weirdly felt comfortable in that space. And mm-hmm. I think like I was able to then get like some girlfriends who were like, oh, I don't, I don't like going to spots at night and then being like, guys, let's go together. Like, because mm-hmm. we come in and we're more confident together. And that's been fun. But also I've realized over time that women just taking up space can really trigger men Mm -hmm. being the funny one in a conversation can trigger men being a loud laugher for whatever reason like just i love i just fucking love taking up space and it makes people men sometimes very uncomfortable around me yeah and then it's just the question is like what kind of life do you want to live right like i just can't imagine getting to end of my life and being like man i'm glad i didn't make any men uncomfortable (laughs) you know like I'm going to be like, I wish that I didn't hold in all those great laughs that I could have had my right. whole life. Like, I just, I like, mean, who you told have women look... they have to giggle like, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we could have a whole other conversation. There is right such a thing about women sort of like being restrained and not taking up space and being mm-hmm. small and being mm-hmm. meek and like not laughing loud, not talking, yeah. not. And there's a study showing that, you know, if women talk a quarter of the time in a meeting, men will say they're talking more than 50% of the time in the meeting. Like literally our brains don't process it accurately because of all this internalized bias. But I think, you know, I spent a lot of years in the world of like both social change, but also like, okay, men need to change, get better. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. But I, this is what I can do. Like you I'm here for this amount it. of time on this earth. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm going to teach the women how to change their thought processes so that they're like, I don't care that this man thinks I'm talking too much in the meeting. I'm going to talk in the meeting anyway. And if there's a negative repercussion on the line, I'm going to be ready to deal with that. And if this turns out to not be the job for me, then I'm going to feel confident that I can get another one. Like It's so funny because I've felt like a crazy person because I'm currently – I'm on a TV show and there's a guy on the show who literally is like, you talk too much. And in my head, I'm like, but he talks – <laughs> 10 times more than I do. So how come, like, what is he, what? I'm like, right. if so, no, first of all, I don't think anyone talks too much, but if you think I talk too much, then how, what? Right. So it was very hard for me to comprehend and people would be like, yeah, like you talk too much. It like, became a thing and I'm in my head like, but I don't talk as much as him. <laughs> right. And then it's just so easy to always be like, I'm currently in the middle of kind of a Twitter drama of something happened on a show where the misogyny is just rampant in relationships of just so easily being like, yeah, the girl's crazy. And like, she just wants 
to be with a hot guy. And I'm like, actually, I kind of want a guy who's smart and funny and kind. So let's not right. like just assume that I just wanted that. But anyway, enough about me. Spinning back to you. <laughs> Since <laughs> No, but I think that's true. And there is such a like, you know, I think one of the most insidious things about a lot of these socialization patterns is that they like flip whatever's really true, right? So it's like women are taught that their appearance is the thing that matters most about them. But then also we're being told that women only care about how handsome a man is or something, right? You're like, no, no, no. It's the other way around. <laughs> like, like I literally, It's actually the last thing I care about at this point in my life. Been there, done that. I just want someone whose soul connects to mine. In yeah. this work that you've been doing, how has it helped you understand yourself more throughout? Oh, I mean, I think everything that I teach came from doing the work on myself. I mean, mm-hmm. I really think, obviously I like read books and stuff too, yeah. but, <laughs> but I'm not like making it all up. But I really do that. I think with any kind of, you know, like how does a meditation teacher learn something? Yeah. Of course they can study what has been written in the past, but also their meditation practice, right? Like I would never go to a meditation teacher who was like, oh no, I don't meditate, but I've read a bunch of books about it. Right. Yes. You'd be like, no, no, kind of need you to have a serious meditation practice yes. if I'm going to trust you with this. Yes. And the same, I think, is true for coaching. Like, I think everything that I have sort of like added to the world of coaching that has been really unique from my perspective has come from doing my own work and like seeing it in myself. And of course, I get coached. I'm a big proponent of like, mm. never get there. We're all, I mean, yeah, it's, the there's brain, not it's a, always a more final levels. destination. Yeah, besides. exactly. So like, I always have coaches and I get coached and, you know, like, it's not like, oh, I'm on the mountaintop and I've achieved enlightenment. And things are always changing too. Like, it's never a final totally. answer. I'm always like, I want to be an example of how much your life can change with a half-managed mind. Yeah. Because like, all my students are total perfectionists who think they have to get it all perfect. And I'm like, no, no. No, I'm just 50% less crazy than I used to be. And my life is so much better. So do you find a certain type of woman that ends up in your course? Yeah, I would say women with high, I mean, this describes a lot of women, but like self-critical, high anxiety. Mm-hmm. Often they don't know that they're self-critical, right? Mm-hmm. But it really, it's sort they of They think like, they're just really observant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they think they're just realistic. This is what I would have said too. Like, I'm yeah. just being realistic about myself, right? Mm-hmm. But I think women who feel like, like what I used to feel like before coaching, I just felt like I never felt good enough. I always felt like there was something wrong with me. I was always trying to fix the next thing about me to finally feel okay about myself. Yep. Like that would check and bring the happiness. Yeah. And I felt like I was living under this like miasma of guilt and shame Mm -hmm. all the time. Like I say, I would. Guilt is the worst emotion. Like I would feel guilty if I told myself I was going to go to the post office and then I didn't go to the post office. Even though nobody cared it. and I it didn't it. need to happen. <laughs> right? like, and then I get to the post office and I feel guilty because I don't know how the post office works. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. It's just that constant. I just was like living under that constant cloud and I felt so emotionally volatile. I mean, this is the thing, right? It's like, you know, there's the stereotype of women being crazy and irrational. And then it's like a feedback loop where on the one hand, then we just think anything a woman, you know, a man having a strong emotion is just like being forceful and a woman mm-hmm. having a strong emotion is crazy. Mm-hmm. But also like I was quite emotionally volatile, not because there's something genetically crazy about women, but because I'd been socialized to think in these ways that were all about, you know, basically being constantly mean to myself and like being totally dependent on external validation. And so you're yeah. constantly swinging between- oh external validation and feeling shitty about yourself. And yeah, of course you're all over the place. I do think it's why I didn't really last in corporate America. I like couldn't handle having a boss and like dealing with the situations that I was observing in the office. And I was like, I just need to do this on my own because Mm -hmm. it's really difficult to, oh my God, we had unlimited vacation days, which turned into 
no, no vacation. vacation yeah, it's like, but like that's the kind of it. thing that would because no, yeah. none of the girls in the office would take it because it would look bad. And at some right. point, I was like, we are all just abusing ourselves mm-hmm. and being abused, and it's just this sick cycle. And when do we stop the pain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I've discovered is like you have to change the way you think. Yeah. It's like the key to it all. And I think my students tend to be women who are. Yeah, so often what you describe of like, okay, well, I've done a couple of these things that I thought were supposed to make me feel good. Like mm-hmm. I did get married or I did get the job yep. or I did get the whatever. And like, and that's what happened to me for sure. I mean, I spent 10 years being like, okay, well, I'm gonna get the next gold star. Like, you know, I'm gonna go to this law school and then I'll feel smart and good enough. And then, okay, I'm gonna get this clerkship and I'm gonna get this fellowship. And then eventually I was running a think tank at Columbia Law School. And I was like, I don't think... <laughs> the job's going to do it. I like have enough evidence now. I think maybe it has to come from inside my brain. Well, it's funny because I've always talked about plastic surgery and I was thinking about it last night, how like materialistic stuff with women has become so important, especially with social media and like the Kardashians and what they've normalized. Mm -hmm. Like it's literally been normalized to be 18 and get lip fillers. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I always tell people before you like do something to your face or your body, like, why don't we think within first? Like, why do you want to do that if you could fix that? Because I think what I'm hearing you say is kind of like, I don't think the nose job is going to solve all your problems. No. You see this with weight loss all the time, right? People want to lose weight to feel confident, Mm -hmm. but then they do it and they don't feel confident. And that's because if you have been thinking the thought, I'm fat and disgusting the whole time you're trying to lose weight. Mm -hmm. It's like we think the minute the scale flips to that last number, all of a sudden we're going to have a different brain that says nice things to us. Mm -hmm. It's because people don't understand how the brain works, right? People think outside things cause how I think and feel. It is the number causing my feelings. And as soon as it's the right number, it'll cause a positive feeling. But that's not how it works. Your brain is much more – it's not really a muscle, but it's the right metaphor, right? Your brain is like a muscle. You've taught it to think a certain way. It's not going to change just because a number changes or your nose changes in the mirror or whatever. And I think what you see with plastic surgery a lot is people will, and the plastic surgery industry will tell you, oh, people do report increased satisfaction after blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With their nose. But now they've switched to, now I need a chin lift, right? Now I need a whatever. It's like switch to the next thing. And I'm not here to guilt or shame anyone. Obviously, it would make me a terrible coach. (laughs) We're all complicit in different ways. I wear makeup and high heels sometimes. Like I'm Mm -hmm. not, you know, telling anybody that they shouldn't do whatever they're doing. But I totally agree with you that I think like we have got to like pump on the brakes and think about, right, why are we doing this? And especially with beauty and constantly trying to stay young, this is a a losing fight. You're going to get older. (laughs) Like, this is just, you like, can't. Aging gracefully is a thing. The point of right. aging gracefully is not fighting it and looking like a reptile midway because you're fighting it. <laughs> right. And you can't. Like, okay, with weight loss, some small percentage of people are able to lose and keep weight off long term. Okay. Nobody has successfully stopped aging, no matter how hard they try. <laughs> right. Like, it's not an option. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, there are ways in which, you know, like living life in a fat body in a fat phobic society, like, yeah, there's a lot of downsides. But one of the plus sides is like I had to learn to love my body for myself. Mm-hmm. And also I haven't based my entire sense of well-being on fitting into society's, you know, conventional attractive boxes. Like yes. I actually really feel for people who are conventionally very beautiful because I think that they start to lose their shit when mm-hmm. you start to like when that's been your currency and then yes. eventually that currency goes away. And it's wild what are you that do? a typical person who has kind of a societal accepted body you don't see 
the like fat shaming or like the lack right. of acceptance for diverse body types because you're in that privileged body and you still don't feel good though you know it's like you, no, you talk no. to a model and they still the are like the model doesn't fat. feel good because the right. photo of her that she's jealous of herself because it's photoshopped right so right. let's there's be real no, there's no winning right this is also such a misconception it's like yeah when we talk about you know body privilege we're saying there's a difference in society but mm-hmm. of course it's not saying everybody experiences the emotional pain because We've all internalized the same things that we can't live up to. So if you're a size 24 and you haven't done this work, then you're trying to be a size 18. If you're a size 18, you're trying to be a size 14. If you're a size two, you're trying to be a size zero, right? It's like, or if you're a plus size model, your boobs might be too small for an ideal plus size model. (laughs) Right, right. it's funny because thinking about this as I'm getting older and I might have children one day, I'm like, what do I want to teach my kids? Like, what's the goal? Like, is it success? Is I want them to be super good looking? Or is it like I want them to understand how to be happy? Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to mothers on, you know, you have a daughter. What are some words or praise or things you want the daughter to understand that society mm-hmm. doesn't want her to understand? I mean, I think you have to do the work yourself because your children, we know kids are smart. They don't listen yes. to your bullshit if they can tell you don't believe it. Right? <laughs> they listen to your, ter- your performative affirmations. Yeah. They the see crystals what you do. are not doing it. <laughs> right. They see what you do, not just what you say. Right. True. So you can't be like, you know, staring in the mirror, criticizing yourself and then telling your daughter that her body's beautiful and think that's what she's going to hear. Right. So I think like for moms or parents of any kind, the most important thing you can do is to do your own work. Because that's what you're going to model for your kids. Yes. That's so much more important than like what you say to them. Kids are like little weather veins. They pick up on the emotions behind it and like mm-hmm. what's actually going on and not mm-hmm. like whatever bullshit you try to feed them if they can tell you're you You're so right. It. And you will break. Even if you're trying to be a type of way, if that's not earnestly how you feel, they'll yeah. see right through it. Are you ready to play the Seven Deadly Sins? I think it's time. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's I'm ready. go. Because I feel enriched. <laughs> I feel motivated. I want to kick the patriarchy in the balls. Seven Deadly Sins. What are you greedy about? I'm greedy about... These are going to be like such annoying life coach answers. Uh, I think that I'm greedy about... I think like self-knowledge. I get asked all the time, like, you know, like, what do you do for fun? And I'm like, I think about myself. (laughs) (laughs) Not in a like... I'm like self-inquiry. Like that is fun. Like when Mm -hmm. I think about is there anything in the world I can't have too much of, maybe orgasms also, (laughs) but you can have too much of those actually. It can become Mm -hmm. painful. Mm -hmm. Like self-knowledge and like like that's, yeah. If you were going to give me like one wish that was like, you could have unlimited something, that's what I would pick. Amazing. Who are you envious of? I used to be envious of like literally everybody. I have done like a ton of work on it. So I actually think one of the greatest gifts coaching has given me, I promise they won't all be this coachy, but this is who I am, (laughs) is like that I don't feel envious anymore. So I used to like walk around New York and every time I saw a thin woman, I just assumed that her life was perfect, right? Even though like in New York, people are like crying and breaking up on the street. (laughs) She's literally crying and you're like, yeah, there's, and I'm like, look, her work is, her (laughs) life is amazing. So one of the things I did when I was doing a lot of body image work was like, I think like I teach my clients to do, you have to delink the idea that a certain body is going to bring you happiness. Yes. So I spent like a whole summer walking around Manhattan, which, you know, is full of literal fashion models mm-hmm. being like, everybody suffers. Like I would like see it's a beautiful woman. Up. It's sad to be like, yeah. everyone's sad, but like everyone's but that's the sad. Truth. That's what, you know, that's what Buddhist tradition teaches us, right? Every yeah. humans all suffer. Suffering comes from our human attachment. Yes. Everyone so, is living in this world where we're all going to die and we all have, you know, 
thoughts about just what our purpose is and no one knows. Right. right. We try, all I, feel happy. We all feel sad. Like, yes. There's no one body that's going to make you only feel happy. So but you can I actually, control your thoughts and like your reactions to things. Yeah. And also part of that is like accepting that you're supposed to feel both happy and sad because you're a human, not a robot. Oh, I know. Right? That's hard for me. My friend earlier today was like, it's okay to not be okay. And I'm like, but is it? Is it? <laughs> yes, it is. I concur, okay with, your, okay. I yeah. concur with your friend. <laughs> what are you gluttonous about? So what do you like to overindulge in besides mm. self-exploration? Before, besides self-exploration, Yeah. I think sex more than food. Like, I'm not yes. particularly gluttonous about food, but I think, like, yeah, I don't get tired of <laughs> I don't get tired of having sex. And it's not funny because sex is not just an easy thing that women immediately find pleasure in. I mean, you could write a whole yeah, we could have a whole other episode about that. About, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great that you have to like really feel sexy and be out of your own head to mm-hmm. orgasm and enjoy your partner. So. Well, I think that's, that's awesome. yeah, that's why since I'm so cerebral, like that's one of like that and dancing, those are like the physical things where I'm like outside of my head and in my body. Yes, yes. Because you can't ignore that your body is a part of your <laughs> Right. You have to be state. in your body to have that experience. <laughs> yeah. When was the last time you experienced extreme wrath or anger? Oh my earlier today, I almost lost my mind because <laughs> this is like such a funny when I started doing this coaching work and I learned how to like stop basically losing my shit about other people. I started losing my shit about inanimate objects not working. And so like, that's like, I don't really get angry at, I don't think there's anything wrong with anger. And I certainly, when anger comes up, I allow it. I'm not saying like enlightened people don't get angry, but I just generally like the place that I still have like intense, irrational rage is when like, so I had like, had bought a new microphone and we couldn't figure out how to get it to work. And I was like, I'm going to throw my computer out the window. Like I just... I had to like take a few minutes and like process the emotion because I was like having such an intense thing about it. Are you very anti like attachment to anger or like holding grudges? Because I'm Sicilian. I hold grudges. I'm always like people should do what works for them. But generally, I think like holding a grudge doesn't feel great to you and it doesn't really punish the other person. That's Mm -hmm. why that old saying, you know, it's like you think you take the poison and you think they'll die. Yeah. Like that's not what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So – Find a safe way to hold a grudge. It's not affecting you, but you just know you forgive, <laughs> but you don't forget. I won't call it a grudge. Like, yeah, sort yeah. of, you can decide. Okay, I'm not going to like keep lending this person money if they don't ever pay it back. But hundred percent, like, yeah. So know. it's just it's a note in your head. Keep keep yeah, some notes. Exactly. <laughs> when was the last time you were a sloth? So just like didn't do anything all day. Oh, I'm a big fan of that. I like lay down between like two and four every day if I can. Oh, that's this same. Is my- I have a whole podcast that came out recently where I'm talking to another seven-figure coach and we're talking about how like lying down in the middle of the day is the secret to our success. (laughs) So I am 100% in favor. I definitely yesterday – I did go on a walk, but that was the only – I went on a walk and then I sat on the couch. So I love that. I'm I think slothful all the time. We're all, ugh, when you get like Shape Magazine and the people do like what they do in a day or like, and they're like, wake up, go to yoga. Have an egg. Stop reading those things. Like, oh my god! From that shit ten years ago, and it was a real positive development. The only time I'd ever do it is like if I'm in the airport and I'm kind of bored, and I'm like, "Who are these robots?" But then it's also sad because it's like you don't do that every day. Yeah, that's just also just not true. It's just not. You're a liar now. Yeah, or you're just describing your eating disorder to me. Yeah, and we're publishing it in the magazine. Yeah, or your workout addiction. Yeah. When was the last time you let your pride or your ego get in the way of something? 
This is something I still work on in romantic relationships. Mm. Um, so I definitely within the last week have had to coach myself through my brain <laughs> telling me that something was wrong and feeling hurt and then wanting to withhold or wanting to punish. And like that's a pattern that I have to keep a very close. By withhold, eye on you mean like ignore? Yeah, I'm not like a you know, it's all relative. I would never mm -hmm. like, you know, literally ignore somebody I was involved with or give yeah. them the cold shoulder. It's not that yeah. dramatic. Yeah. But yeah, like sort of, you know, make up a story about why somebody should have done something a different way, get attached to that story. And then like, yeah, take a little bit longer to text them back or like not mm -hmm. be as friendly. It's like that kind of nonsense, which is like people call that playing games. And some of it is what we have to understand. We can have a whole other podcast about this. People aren't doing that because they want to play games. It's just when your emotions aren't regulated. And so this is like a place where I have to watch myself because my instinct is to like shut down and kind of, yeah, like be in pride as opposed to love. To love somebody means for me, I think to like, be in vulnerability and openness, even when you feel that way. And and, that's and really be empathetic. It's, yeah. I'm like that where I will shut down. Also, you said play stories in your head. That's really powerful. Cause I think I am very guilty of like, even someone will tell me something that I didn't see in a certain way. And suddenly I have the story in my head of like, how could they have done that? But it's like, I feel like things aren't really as black as white as like the story. No, it's you tell like you're hurting your, your own feelings. It's like I made up a story yes. about what this means and then I decided I was hurt by it and then I decided to act on it. And yes. I'm like, I made all that up. <laughs> like none of that oh was actually God. happening. Well, it's funny being on a reality TV show, like you have a story in your head and then you get to watch other people's perspectives play out too. And mm -hmm. you're like, wait, I didn't know they were mad about that too or that they were mm -hmm. affected by their mom and that. And, and you're just like, oh my God, it's never as simple as I made up in my head. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's worse. But anyway, <laughs> when was the last time you lusted over someone? So do you have a celebrity crush or is there a barista that you have your eye on? What's happening over there? <laughs> I am dating and I'm non-monogamous. So I would say the last time I lusted was this morning. I think one of the things people don't understand about the, I don't know if you're familiar with Esther Perel as this um, kind of sex therapist and emotional therapist. Anyway, she writes a lot about how um, mystery is what creates desire, like distance mm. is what creates desire and kind mm. of how that's at odds with our idea about companionate love, which is like, okay, well, when you love someone, you should spend all your time with them and know everything about them. And like, it's this very enmeshed intimacy. Yes. And so one of the positives for me of ethical non-monogamy is that you generally are not like totally enmeshed with all your partners and living mm -hmm. with all of them all the time. And mm -hmm. right there, there is that like distance that allows you to create some and then there's like, you get to have that sort of anticipation all the time that most people only get in early dating because you're not spending all your time with someone. So, so what's little... the difference between ethical non-monogamy and non-monogamy? Oh, I was just specifying because oh. I guess if you cheat on somebody, it's non-monogamy. <laughs> oh, but ethical, okay. ethical non-monogamy, meaning everybody knows and consents to what's going so on. So when you see a guy, you're basically like, I'm seeing other people and that's just how I am. Kind yeah, of. Yeah, and they are too. I mean, I you, you generally people like that generally and, date each other. Okay, and then are you ever looking to be monogamous? I think some people feel like they're monogamous or non-monogamous in the same way they feel like they're straight or bi or gay, oh, which is okay. like it feels like this orientation. Yes. I don't feel that way personally. For yeah. me, like it has varied in my life depending on the relationship and where I was in life. I think I tend towards that. Like I, I don't feel the kind of jealousy and possessiveness that not that doesn't ever come up, but like that a lot of people feel. I mean, I think this is a whole other episode too, but like yeah. a lot, a lot of the desire for monogamy, not saying all of it, but a lot of it comes from just the desire to be able to stop worrying about it, like stop mm -hmm. feeling insecure, stop feeling anxious, 
feel safe, all of mm-hmm. these feelings we want a relationship to provide, mm-hmm. which of course the relationship isn't providing. It's how you're thinking about it. So mm. like, I don't think everybody should be any particular way, but like doing the kind of work you have to do on that stuff to be non-monogamous is valuable if you're going to be, whether you're monogamous or not, so that you sort of aren't just expecting monogamy to solve all your problems of feeling yes. anxious or insecure or whatever. Yes. Well, it's also like when people are like, I don't know if he's my boyfriend. And I would be like, you kind of just know when you're dating someone. It's not like a label that necessarily mm-hmm. will make you feel that much better. It either is it or right. it's not. Oh, my God. So fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we literally touched on so many things, but Everyone listen to Unfuck Your Brain. It is incredible. It is one of the top mental health podcasts. And I feel so lucky to have Kara on my pod now. My final question for you, you're not done yet. Yes, I'm ready. Is what advice would you give to people on how to cope with their hell when they're going through it? The most suffering we create is our resistance to suffering, right? So we feel sad or we feel angry or we feel overwhelmed. We feel hopeless, whatever we're feeling. And that feeling is like, having a headache. Yeah. And then we start to tell ourselves, I don't want to feel this way. I shouldn't feel this way. There's something wrong with me. I need to make this feeling go away. And that is like trying to saw your head open without anesthetic Mm -hmm. to get the headache out. Mm. It's (laughs) so much of the suffering is caused by the resistance. And I think especially in America, we have this idea that you should kind of always be happy. We were just talking about this, right? It's possible to always be happy. Some people over there are always happy. If you looked a certain way or you had Mm -hmm. a certain partner, you had a certain job or your parents had been different, you'd always be happy. Mm -hmm. No one is always happy. I would say like my teacher always says, and what I teach from her is like life is Mm 50-50. And so the single easiest thing you can do to reduce your suffering in any situation is to stop resisting that you're suffering and just be willing to feel shitty for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, well, and like know that it will pass. Yeah, I, I always feel guilt when I feel upset about something or something caused me anxiety. Then you go in that guilt shame spiral that right, you're it's being human. It's so much worse. It makes yeah. it so much worse. And yeah, just that's incredible perspective of life has been like, look, your days are going to be 50 50 out on this planet. So go live it. <laughs> yeah, like just allow nobody is living life totally happy unless they've had a stroke. So just, you know, like, oh my god that's your new bio for your life coach <laughs> Cara you are so informative such a little light of life please let me know where people can follow you give me the goods where they can listen to you watch you everything yeah you can find me my podcast is called unfuck your brain you can find it wherever you get your podcasts or you can always go to unfuckyourbrain.com those are the easiest ways to find me Amazing. Well, thank you guys so much for coming to hell. Wow. I hope you took notes and I will talk to you guys later. Bye. Okay, chickens, pop quiz. Have you signed up for the deprogramming the patriarchy from your brain boot camp yet? Because if you haven't, what are you waiting for? Do you have patriarchy in your brain? Yes, you do. Do you want to get the patriarchy out of your brain? Yes, you do. I promise both those things are true. Everything I have accomplished in my life that I am proud of and feel good about, every good relationship I have, every achievement in my business, every milestone in my relationship with myself, those have all come from getting the patriarchy the fuck out of my brain. It's a lifetime project, but I have made a lot of progress and I really want to teach you all how to do that in a more structured, focused way where we can be together Coaching and teaching and learning 
for an intense immersion period. That is one of the ways that the brain learns best is to spend time in a kind of short, concentrated environment. And so that is why I am doing this five-day deprogramming the patriarchy from your brain boot camp. And it is all going down July 19th to 23rd. It's going to be an hour a day of live teaching and coaching. All you need is a free Zoom account. It is going to be amazing. So if you want to join us, and again, I really can't imagine why you wouldn't. Although if you are in the clutch, you are going to get access to everything. We will put all of the replays in the clutch membership. So don't worry, you do not need to sign up separately. But if you are not in the clutch and you want a taste of what this work can do, this is the perfect opportunity. So you can text your email to plus one three four seven nine nine seven one seven eight four. That's plus one three four seven nine nine seven one seven eight four, and enter the code word five day challenge. That's the letter five, and then the words day challenge written with spaces like you were writing a correct grammatical sentence. Five day challenge, or you can visit unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash five day challenge. The letter five, and then the words day challenge all together, all one word. Come sign up. Let's get the patriarchy out of your brain. Let's teach you how to think on purpose, how to act in alignment with the person you want to be. These are incredibly crucial life skills that I don't know about you, but I have not learned anywhere else. (laughs) I did not learn them until I found coaching and until I worked with a coach in a concentrated, focused way. I love this podcast. This podcast is my free offering of all of this work to the world. But we all know that when you set aside time and you really decide to commit to learning something and you focus on it for a shorter, intense period, you can really make amazing leaps and bounds in your work on it. So come do that. Come join the Deprogramming the Patriarchy from Your Brain boot camp. It's going to be amazing. It's the only kind of boot camp I ever want to (laughs) do. I'm not doing those 7 a.m. exercise boot camps, but I am doing this. So come check it out, unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash five day challenge, the number five, the words day challenge, or text your email to plus one, three, four, seven, nine, nine, seven, one, seven, eight, four, and enter the code word, the number five space, the word day space, the word challenge. I'll see you there.